With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This has the, the opportunity for the greatest turnaround in college football exists here today, and it's not one to be taken lightly. will field it at the 5 to the 10 pass the numbers to the 20 25 look out 30 he's at the 40 to the midfield strike to the 40 down the far sideline 10 5 to the house wildcat touchdown for Tremaine Thompson welcome to bring on the podcast here's your host A. Hernali. Welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcasts, and we are back talking about Bill Snyder, this time the 2.0 era, and so we're going to start with a guy who was at Kansas State when Bill Snyder came back, is an all-Big 12 defensive back, a first-team academic All-American, and a two-year captain, it's Tyson Hartman. Tyson, how are you doing? doing? Doing great, Luke. Thanks for having me on the pod. Appreciate your time, man. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate you. Uh, so you were a junior in high school when Bill Snyder retired for the first time. I mean, had you... Going to his camps, talk to him much before then, or talk to any of his assistants about going to K-State at that point? No, not, not at that point. So I guess my initial contact with K-State was right around that time, junior, going into my senior year, and so that was really going into the Prince era uh, when James Franklin made a visit to the school and surprised the heck out of me by <laughs> kind of jumping into a workout and like, who's this guy running around? Looking like me with a bald head and glasses, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and watched me throw some weights around. But um, so I, I missed that. I guess that, that whole first era. Uh, I didn't really grow up following a lot of college football. It was okay. kind of crazy how it how it went around. Where I was more in the NFL growing up, and then once I got to college, I all I really cared about was college football. And then after that, I kind of shifted <laughs> to following guys like playing in the league and yeah. Obviously, still supporting and watching the Cats whenever I can. Yeah. Well, I mean, and your your dad played a little bit in the NFL, right? Yeah, briefly. Made it to a camp there with the Jets, uh, but didn't stick around too long. NFL, but uh, played some arena ball as well. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, you know, once you got to to K State, I know Bill Snyder was still kind of around. Did you have much interactions with him during that time? No, not early on. Uh, I think I don't know if it was more Prince driven or Snyder just wanting to let him do as much as he could on his own. But, I mean, he had his office there across from Prince there, the old veneer, which is weird even saying that because it was basically <laughs> brand new when we moved in. Yeah. But, I mean, he'd come and, you know, he'd speak to the team after practice, you know, during meetings and such. But very rare to have him come in and, you know, specifically speak to one of the guys or make that connection yeah. uh, with one of us at that time. 
Yeah. So what was kind of, you know, the reaction from you and the team that when he came back? I mean, was was it kind of weird playing for a guy whose name is on the stadium and his statue is out front? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it almost seemed kind of backwards, right? So, uh-huh. again, you know, he retired, seeing him in the bathroom. Obviously, it has uh, quite the, the legend, you know, books written after him, mm-hmm. as we know, like documentaries uh, yeah. after him now. But, you know, it, it was weird going through kind of reliving the, the coaching situation now uh, as a, more so as a fan than as it was as a player. It was strange. I almost followed it even more closely now as a fan than I did as a player. Back <laughs> yeah. then, I was, you know, I have zero control over anything. I'm just going to go about my business, and whoever comes in will follow that. But yeah. no one, I, I don't think at the time, really believes Coach was going to come back. Yeah. Um, you know, we were reading all the uh, – now I'm blanking. Who's the guy that uh, – Patterson. I think Patterson yeah. was one of the big yeah. names back then right. and, and a few others. And I think we were all assuming that's what was going to happen. So it kind of came almost as a shock and a surprise. And I think to some of us, almost, you know, it's strange to say, foot in my mouth moment, almost like a letdown. Like, oh, you know, I thought we were going to get you know, someone young and, yeah. and connect with us more. And, you know, boy, were we wrong. But he came in and obviously turned the program around and, and got us winning again. So, yeah. And, you know, we, we won't dive too much into it, but we've heard Ian Campbell and Reggie Walker talk about, you know, just how far behind the defense was in the Prince era, how bad things were. What were your expectations for how quickly he could turn that around? Um, I mean, I knew, he, I knew he could do it. I mean, we all believed. I mean, from the second he first came in, the way he rose the bar and rose the expectations of us, whether it be a workout or finishing through the line on a drill, finishing through the line actually means finishing about three yards past the line. Not at the line, which we learned pretty darn quick after redoing cross fields and redoing a lot of those sprints at the end of the off-season conditioning. But really, you know, just the way that that he throws those expectations for us, we knew that, you know, there were going to be some serious changes in the right direction. And I heard or I listened to the the 1.0 podcast not too long ago, and I was like, man, you know, Ian's talking about how bad the defense was. And I went back and kind of looked at some things, and I was like, you know what? That was my first year playing defense. Okay. It was his senior year, and after my redshirt year, right. and I was like, you know what? I didn't really know what the heck was going on then, because I switched from playing safety to quarterback, right. and things were flying around so quickly that I, <laughs> you know, things were just moving so fast that I was just out there trying to you know, keep up for the most part. Like we really were bad on defense. You know, looking at the numbers of the triple digits in, in the country and rankings, yeah. it's never never where you want to be. Yeah, but I mean, you still feel like there was a lot of individual talent out there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even looking at, you know, the guys that, that played there, they're still playing in the league to this day. I mean, yeah. talent off the charts, uh, you know, even walk-on guys like Ian and Marcus Watts and fast forward into, you know, Reggie Walker, who had you know, quite a long career himself. Guys that got chances in the league and really got every bit of potential out of themselves during, during Snyder's second run that set themselves up to at least get a shot, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, you probably heard Ian say it, and others have said it, that, you know, Snyder's second rebuild is in some ways just as impressive as the first. Um, and just wondering kind of your thoughts on that. And did Snyder ever talk about, you know, that history, what it takes to to kind of restart a program since he'd done it once before? Yeah, and I, I think I've, I've heard a lot of these stories probably a thousand times after the all the catbagger events that I've been on. And, yeah. um, but, you know, even the stories that he told, you know, to us behind closed doors about, uh, you know, the ways that the guys felt his first day on campus, you know, the first go around where, you know, guys probably weren't too excited to wear their letter jackets and weren't <laughs> proud. They weren't, you know, they weren't proud to be part of K-State football. 
uh, yeah. because of where it was, the program was when he first started. You know, I wouldn't say it was quite that low uh, when he arrived on campus, but mm-hmm. to really get that you know ship turned around in, in a direction it is quickly as it did. You know, I think it's I want to say his second year back. We're yeah. back going to consecutive bowl games. Right. I think after a five win season, he came back. I think we had six wins that next year. Missed the bowl because I think we had an extra non-con game that didn't yeah, end up counting. Extra but, FCS. Uh, yeah, 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 extra FCS game there. But when you look at it, I mean, just the trajectory, how quickly it got up off the ground and back where we should be and need to be winning conference titles and such. You know, it's just a testament to really that high bar that he, that he sets for us, yeah. both on and off the field. Yeah. And so you probably heard Ian talk in 1.0 about one of the things he remembered from Snyder's last game was – you know, the way he went out to, to Marcus Watts when he got injured. Um, you know, you had a, kind of a bad knee injury here last game of 2009 season. You know, did you feel like Snyder cared more than, than many other coaches would? Or what did you see through that process? Yeah, I mean, it, aside from just the players, I mean, it's, it's now a staple for our program, is family. You know, every mm-hmm. brand thing you see on anything nowadays has family tied, tied or attached mm-hmm. to it in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And that's, you know, the injury you talked about where I – he had an ACL, the Nebraska game in 09, and you know, he was one of the first people out there to check on me. How you doing, Ty? How's it going? Obviously, there's not much physically you can do, but just the presence that, that he cares. Then and there is, is more than you know, probably most coaches would do. And even to this day, every time I see him, he's always asking, how's the family? How's the sister? And yeah. I think I, my sister was maybe one, two years old, three years old when I played while he was there, so... You know, even just him remembering that <laughs> at his age is yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. And even, you know, that's a long rehab process coming back from the ACL. Um, you know, how much was he there help you through that? Uh, you know, it's really the job of the staff at that point. Right. Um, you know, he's always checking on me, you know, where are things? Because unfortunately, that wasn't the only injury I had. I, yeah. you know, I had a wrist surgery. Right. I broke my wrist the following year. Right. I had a pretty bad sprain in my knee my senior year. And again, my ACL, I didn't miss a game. Mm-hmm. So even just the standard that he holds the strength and conditioning staff and the, the trainers, Matt and Mindy, to get us back on the field and healthy as quickly as possible, you know, it all just trickles down from all those values that he instills in us. And, you know, if he's not directly asking us, um, he's hearing it from the staff. But, yeah. again, just that level of care and, and attention to detail. Yeah. And so then, you you know, you became the team captain your last two seasons. Um, you know, how did your relationship with, with Coach change once you've got that role? Probably just more conversation. The prior year, I was elected, a, I was on the leadership council. Okay. So it's basically like a junior captain, if you will. Uh, just opened up more to communication with him. It's a larger group and, and kind of got uh, introduced or involved that way. And then obviously I'm the captain then. So a little bit more closed door meetings with the other captains. But, you know, as with anything, as you move up in leadership roles, your involvement, not with management, but with the coaches and, and just the relationship grows from there. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I guess, you know, how much independence do you have as captains to do things like, you know, this year there's a big deal made of like the players only meeting. And I think I remember, you know, they had, that was something they had to clear with coach. You know, how much do you guys get to have a say on that sort of things, just leading the team? You know, I didn't say, or I wouldn't say that yeah. we ever hit a point where we needed to call one. Yeah, I mean, going into my senior year, we were winning a lot of close games. <laughs> right. We were fortunate to win a lot right. of close games. That was the year they kept calling us cardiac cats because we had so many right. wins right. with you know one score games. So things were rolling pretty well for us. So, you know, at no point did we feel like the wheels were falling off. But obviously, if that was something that needed to be done, then 
uh, you know, I think we'd have the authority to, to call that and get that done. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he's ultimately approving who's at the end of the day, he's approving who, you know, gets voted captain. So those are guys that he typically trusts uh, to carry the torch and be those leaders and speak up for what's right and get the guys on track. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, you talk about that, that 2011 team and, you know, the stats people will say that, that in case they just got lucky and the, they weren't as good, but you know, do you feel like there was anything special that, that made that team so good in close games? Um, obviously, momentum is a, a big factor in that. When you start winning those close games, you got the confidence to go out, go out and win. But I mean, when you look back at the 16 goals, you expect to win and never give up mentality and attitude that you know we're just going to continue to get better and, and learn from our mistakes and um, and do all those things that you know he's been preaching since what '89. So I, mm-hmm. my partner here uh, that I work with was Brad Seib, who obviously played for him back in the day. And okay. It's one of those things, him and I will go back and forth on Snyder stories and I'll tell him something <laughs> they I bet he wasn't doing this back in the day. And sure enough, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, he was. And about 20, 30 years strong, you know, the same habits, the same mentalities that, uh, that he's teaching, you know, that he taught those guys and now obviously grown men that, you know, he's teaching us as youngsters. Yeah. So, I mean, do you have any, any good, what are your best Snyder stories? Um, you know, I'll say that uh, when it comes to the attention to detail, you know, it seemed petty, it seemed meticulous, it seemed so small and, and insignificant back then. But you know, it's always the small things, the small things that you know either cost you a game or you know, a missed assignment or, or a penalty that easily could have been avoided. But he took those things off the field. I would always sit front row in the team meetings and position meetings, and it was right in front of the door that he entered the team meeting room. And I'll never forget one day he comes in and there's the smallest speck of paper trash on the floor. That you know, back when you had the old journals and you rip a page out and has all the little yeah, yeah. the little edges on the side. It was like the size of one of those things and it's sitting there right next to the trash can and he bends over, he picks it up and he says, You guys need to pick up after yourself. John, our maintenance guy, <laughs> you know, he cleans up veneer. He has this place looking nice always, but his job is not to pick up after you guys. That'll be you know, three or four or five extra cross fields, basically a few extra sprints after practice, just over a minuscule piece of paper. And you know, that's something that's always stuck with me. You know, whether I'm in a public bathroom and I toss my, you know, my paper towel in a trash can and miss, you know, it always comes back, hey, hey, go pick that up. Whoever the janitor is here, the job is in to pick up after you. So it's something that sticks with you. And it's all, it's all those little things that, you know, if you keep doing the right thing with integrity, uh, things are gonna bound to go your way at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's probably one of the, the small yeah. Snyder stories that probably ticked me off as a 19, 20 year old kid. But <laughs> <laughs> fast forward, you know, almost a decade later, that it's something that I really appreciate. Yeah, yeah. And then, so you know, the 2011 team was great, and that was your senior year. But the next year, you know, when they won the Big 12 title, you know, how much did you guys feel like you laid the foundation as a seniors, and, and how much did you feel like you were appreciated for that? Oh, I mean, they. I'd say you know not just. Obviously not me personally, but all of the seniors that, that left that year, I mean, we had a lot of talent. We had a lot of good guys on the team. Guys are still playing. Emmanuel Lemur, uh, that's with Oakland now. David Garrett, who's unfortunately no longer with us. But we had a lot of guys that, uh, you know, worked their tails off, did what needed to be done, and helped set the program up for, you know, a little bit of success. But, you know, those guys that, that continue to play that next year, obviously Colin had a great year, but so many other guys that took what, you know, we started on that second second run and just built in and, you know, and made that a great season and a great year. And there's something I followed closely. You know, I was fortunate enough to be, you know, a couple hours away here in Kansas City and old Scotty Eilert would send us DVDs, 
every every week. You know, that Monday or Tuesday, when I come in from practice, there'd be a DVD and from Veneer from K State football sitting there on my on my chair in my locker, and it's something I was proud of. You know, I, I never personally got to beat OU, but we had a second or third round draft pick, uh, a lineman that went to OU, Donald Stevenson, and I watched the game live in the hotel when we were traveling that week, so I didn't need to watch it again. So I went over and tossed it on his on his chair on his locker to talk a little smack because <laughs> <laughs> he was the one talking quite a bit uh, uh-huh. in the locker room with bragging rights on me. So, um, you know, it's something I'm, to this day, I'm you know I'm still very proud of, of the success that you know, they've had since I've left, and you know, watch every game I can. So, I mean, do you get to go back often, keep in touch with the coach? Uh, you know, I try and keep as you know in close contact with, with many of the guys that, that are still there and still on staff. But I usually try and make it back to one, maybe two games a year. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to make it back to, to two this year. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see coach yeah. outside of the KU game. We were down on the field for the KU game, and I got to shake his hand. And, you know, the, yeah. always, again, the first question, yeah, how's the family doing? And, <laughs> But so I probably get to see him or speak to him briefly at least once a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I'm mean, just kind of wondering what was your you know reaction this year when the retirement announcement came? Probably you know as as many fans and it's it's always tough separating and, and Ian alluded to it separating yourself as a former player and as a fan. Right. Because the, the further we get you know removed from playing, the more of a you know that fan feeling we get. So a little bit of mixed emotions. Obviously excitement for. You know, whoever the new person is that's going to come in, um, I know a lot of a lot of fans were calling for him to leave, which you know, I won't say I was the first one to to want that. I mean, if you look at how some of these losses turned out, you know, we were a penalty here, a punt return here, a kick return there, from going to a bowl and having what's you know considered a successful season, and you know extending that that bowl game streak. But you know, it's something that everyone was excited for, and then once he announced his retirement. There is just an outpour of, of emotions, you know, fans mm-hmm. reaching out, just everyone being being grateful and, and showing gratitude for the success he's had, his legacy, uh, and all you know, all things that that he earned, both in winning and in, you know, raising young men through his program as as, a, as if they're his own. Yeah, and so now I guess Coach will probably be getting some of those DVDs just like you do get, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't remember if if, if Lucky was saying that or Ian was saying that yeah, on, on the yeah. 1.0 podcast. But um, you know, he's obviously someone who is very passionate about the game, loves the game. You know, I saw the clip of him banging the drum at Arrowhead this past week, and you know, even just being on the field again for a team he doesn't coach and isn't necessarily tied to, and seeing the smile on his face as he's you know having some fun and enjoying it. Um, but you know, I probably envision what John Gruden's early retirement kind of the same way where he's <laughs> evaluating film because mm-hmm. you know, he loves it. That's outside of it being his job. I mean, it's obviously a hobby of his. Like, you can't pull him away from the complex and you can't pull him away from the film room because he's always getting better at something. So if he wants to continue to get better evaluating football and then, you know, being a resource to somebody, if anyone, everyone wants to you know, reach out to him and ask for advice or whatever it is, for whatever reason, you know, he's going to continue to, to get better, you know, each and every day. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that's about it. Thanks a lot for, for coming on. We appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Again, thanks for having me. So now we move on to a Kansas State wide receiver from 2011 to 2014. Had a huge senior year at Kansas State. Also won a Big 12 championship in 2012. Curry Sexton. Curry, how are you? Good, guys. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, doing well. And Derek Smith is also with us. 
What's up, Derek? Yeah, I'm doing just fine. <laughs> so let's start out, Curry. I mean, you grew up in, in Abilene, pretty close to Manhattan. So, I mean, were you an admirer of Bill Snyder? Were you a K-State fan growing up? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a family that was, you know, big K-Staters. Both of my parents went to K-State. Most of my aunts and uncles went to K-State. We grew up, you know, we had season tickets. I went to nearly every home game. You know, went to fan appreciation day every year. So yeah, K State football was a was a big family ordeal for us, and so I grew up, you know, fortunately in the kind of the golden days of K State football. And so yeah, I, I grew up a huge K State Coach Snyder fan. I think I had a, you know, when I was a young kid, I had a signed football from Coach, and then I <laughs> I had a signed picture from Coach with this yeah. famous little "Thank you for being a great Wildcat fan" um, <laughs> written on there. So. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Then did you get a chance to go to camps during high school and stuff? Yeah, I went to uh, I went to camps at K State. Oh, I, I mean, growing up, yeah, I probably went in middle school and then probably almost every year in high school. Um, you know, at first, I was cool and fun, and and you know, then I started to get kind of recruited. The last year, going into my senior year, was when Coach Snyder had just come back, and and at that point, I was trying to get an, an offer. So that that was a pretty important camp for me. Yeah, yeah. And so then, kind of you know, walk us through that college decision process. How did you end up? going to K-State, you know, rather than some of the other schools that might have been offering you a scholarship? Yeah, so I uh, I wanted to be at K-State. Um, it was where I always wanted to play just because, you know, I grew up a huge fan and then, you know, proximity to home. And also at that point, I thought I wanted to be a college football coach or something for NFL personnel, whatever, something related to football for my career. So I thought, you know, who better to learn from than Coach Snyder and his staff. And so I, you know, I had some offers from some smaller Division One schools like Wyoming and Air Force and then, you know, Ivy League schools and some schools on the East Coast. And, you know, I was glad to have those opportunities, but I, I always waited for K-State. I think it was uh, like New Year's Eve, my senior year of high school, I got a phone call from Coach Joe Gordon and Coach Snyder, and they were the only two in the office, and they called and, and offered me a gray shirt scholarship. And, mm-hmm. you know, at that point I, I knew it was a done deal because that was that was everything, you know, that was what I wanted to do growing up, and that's where I wanted to be. So that's kind of what I had been holding out for. Yeah. And it, did it help to know that, you know, there are so many walk-ons in the history of the program, history of Bill Snyder, that have gone on to the big thing and gone on to play? Yeah, I think that was, you know, I think that that helps, you know, knowing that you'll have a you know, fair shake and knowing that guys before you have done it, I think that was something I considered. But, you know, I think any high school kid who's relatively talented thinks they could compete with anybody. Right. Um, and, but, you know, going into coaches program and knowing that, knowing the successes that guys like me had had previously, I think was definitely reassuring. Yeah. You had a gray shirt year then? Yeah. So I gray shirted in 2010, the year of the pinstripe bowl. And then I began full time in January of 2011, and yeah. and then played the next four years. Yeah. So what's that gray shirt year like? What's the process like there? It's interesting. It's uh, I mean, it's definitely not ideal because the way the system works, you you get to go into that the summer right after you graduate high school, you get to go and be on the team, and you know you're on scholarship, and you get to do all the workouts and everything. And, you know, you're, you're in the full swing of things. And then come fall camp, you're gone. You can't be affiliated with the team at any, in any capacity. And so because I grew up close to Manhattan, I moved home and took a few, a few credit hours at K-State Salina and then just worked on the family farm. And so that was weird just because I, I had, you know, gotten into the program, gotten kind of used to it a little bit, and then I had to leave for four months. So definitely not ideal, but it worked out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's – I would have liked to have had that redshirt year to develop and, and, you know, 
worked with Coach Dawson extensively for, for four months, but, you know, things worked out just fine, so I can't complain. And you so what was the process like after your graduate year that they decided not to redshirt you? You know, so I came in and, you know, I had a good winter, and, and then um, spring ball, I started out, I don't know what, on the depth chart, three or four in my position. <laughs> And just, you know, started making things in practice and then started to get reps and started to move up into like the two deep. And then, you know, had a really good spring game that year. I think I had like, I don't know, six catches for 80 yards against the first string defense. And so I think at that point, you know, I, I shifted from an obvious red shirt to then somebody who could maybe contribute and then went into fall camp, had a good fall camp, made some headway there. And then Coach Schneider actually tried to redshirt me like the week of the Eastern Kentucky game in 2011. But I was so dead set on playing. You know, I was on every special teams unit. And I was, you know, in the on the 2D. So I, I wanted to play. And, you know, at that point I was – I would have been a redshirt freshman, you know, as far as age goes. And so I, I told him, you know, Coach, I want to play. And so he let me make that decision ultimately. And so I ended up playing a little bit that year. Yeah, I mean, is that a conversation that you think happens a lot where he, unless the players make that choice? Or? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. he typically allows the player to make that choice, you know, with necessary input from, from him and from position coaches and others. I think, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately he wants what's best for the player. I think, you know, somebody something that he somebody that he kind of compared my situation to was Monty Beisel. I think Monty Beisel, mm-hmm. back when he played in the early 2000s or late 90s, whatever it was, I think Monty came in and was – you know, kind of on the, he was a tweener as far as like play versus not play, but he ended up playing, um, obviously had a good career, obviously went to the NFL, but I think Coach Snyder thought that had he redshirted and had one for a year, he probably would have much more and, uh, you know, everything else. And so I, I'm kind of wondering, like, going through the, the day-to-day stuff at, at practice, you know, how much do you deal in with your position coaches? How much do you, do you actually interact with Snyder? So, I mean, I would say like 95% interaction with your position coaches just because of the nature of the nature of the practice and the nature, the nature of the program. You know, coach was always definitely around. Coach had his eyes and ears on everything. But as far as like personal, individual interaction with coach, that was kind of infrequent. Although coach, if he was around you during practice, you, you absolutely, you know, didn't want to make a mistake. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was always... It was always a little intimidating when coach would come up and, and <laughs> really instruct you during practice. But you know, every single day he had his little his little recorder, his dictator or whatever, <laughs> and he talked into that thing the entire practice. And then he went into his office to practice, and he hand wrote every single thing that he said, and he released that list of notes to every single assistant coach. And ultimately, you didn't want to be on the you didn't want to be on the notes for anything bad. <laughs> yeah. Coach came in the meetings the next day and said, you're on the list, you're on the notes, you know, and it wasn't anything good. That was, you know, that was, that was pretty frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever make it on the list for something bad? Oh, I'm sure, yeah. I mean, every, <laughs> it, it was inevitable. You know, he's so particular about everything. You know, you could, you know, the things that he would write on the list could be anything from, you know, Sexton's not tucking in his undershirt or Sexton's jersey's not tucked in or he's not wearing his mouthpiece or, you know, he's not breaking off his routes as tightly as he needs to. It, you know, he was so particular and, you know, so meticulous that it could be any little tiny detail could show up on the list. Yeah. Was there ever any uh, situation where you were like, oh, come on, man, like something really, really ridiculous? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. I, I mean, I, I not nothing off the top of my head, but 
I know that that kind of stuff came up all the time. I mean, I can just remember sitting in the meeting room. Coach Coleman didn't go over the list. Is He didn't broadcast it as much to the entire group as Coach Smith did. But Coach Smith would come in and just start telling people who was on it and what they were on it. And everybody who was on it for something bad never thought they deserved to be on it. So that was always some pretty good dialogue because, you know, young college kids never think they did anything wrong. So, of course, you don't think that. Right. Yeah. Kind of like how as receivers, you're always open, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, coming up, you know, having been someone who admired Bill Snyder so much and yeah, looked up to him, at what point did he sort of just become a coach for you and not, you know, this larger than life figure? You know, I, I don't know if he ever stopped being a figure, kind of who he is. Um, and I think that's part of what made him so successful and made him such a, an effective coach because his his status as a coaching legend, I think, yeah. demanded so much respect that you kind of look to him as, you know, as what he is as far as all the accolades and everything that he's received. You know, there's a reason that when he would walk into a room with 130 young guys, that the room would go silent in a second. <laughs> you know, so I think there was, he was always sort of, he always kind of had a figure type status. But I think as I got older and started to play a little bit more, I became more comfortable being around him. He was quite, I mean, honestly, quite intimidating just because he demanded so much. And, he, you know, he was, again, his attention to detail was just unbelievable. Right. And so whether you were on the practice field or in the, you know, in the complex eating dinner, you were always, you know, on edge because anything that you said <laughs> or did could be something that he didn't agree with or approve of. And so, you know, you always, always had to be on your P's and Q's around coach because he was just, you know, he wasn't ever going to let you slip up. Yeah. Is there anything that you, you look back now and like, you say, oh, I, I shouldn't have been so intimidated by taking it so seriously? Or, or like, you know, maybe I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have now or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, there, you know, I guess to both of those questions, yes. I mean, I think they're, you know, as a young kid, you know, obviously every college football player has an ego to some, of some sort. Yeah. You know, Coach ran a demanding program and he expected a lot out of us. And so obviously... Um, there were a lot of things that we, you know, did and didn't agree with. But I think, you know, having now being removed from the program for four years now, I think, you know, looking back, I think that everything that he did had a purpose behind it. But everything he did, you know, was for, for our betterment, for the betterment of the team. And so I think, you know, anybody who's been through his program and actually committed to the program, you know, for their tenure at K-State, I think can now look back and say, you know, coach had a reason for everything and they can, you know, they can agree that his, you know, even if it wasn't easy, or even if he was sometimes tough to handle, it was all for the good of the team. And as far as, you know, was there, do I ever wish I had, you know, not been intimidated by him? I think that was kind of his objective, was he didn't, mm -hmm. he didn't like for people to be too close and personal with him because he wanted to, to maintain that, I don't know what you want to call it, he wanted to kind of maintain that his ability to just, I don't I guess I'm looking, struggling to find words. But anyway, I think, you know, as you start to play more, as you become more prominent in your role, as you, you know, get a little bit older in your time, I think you understand better how to approach your relationship with Coach Schneider. Um, and I think having guys like Tyler Lockett and Ryan Mueller, who were maybe a little, you know, more carefree in their approach to Coach Schneider, I think helped. Because by the time we got to be juniors and seniors, I mean, we, you know, we joked with Coach and, you know, weren't always – you know, so tight necessarily around him and, and kind of understood how to better attack that relationship. And so, 
you learn, but you know, again, he, he's not there to be your friend. He's not there to, you know, make you laugh. Although, you know, he does that sometimes, but he's there, you know, he's there to make you a, you know, a better football player and a better person. So he's, you know, he's not going to be easy on you and he's not going to, he's not going to let you slip up. So, you know, he was always on. Yeah. Uh, Coach wasn't exactly known for humor, but I know when I was covering the team, there was a lot of times he would make the media laugh pretty hard. Can you remember any jokes he made in the locker room that made you laugh pretty hard? Uh, you know, I, not, maybe not off the top of my head, but, you know, very similar to how he deals with the media, he dealt with us. And, you know, you never expect him to make a joke. Um, <laughs> you know, you're all expecting him to just be, you know, talk and coach speak and be very methodical. But anytime he, you know, sent out a jab to someone or made a joke of some sort, it, it always, you know, it was always met with, with some pretty good laughter just because it was always totally unexpected. You know, I'd have to think more on that to think of any, any times where he made some jokes that were pretty memorable. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I, you know, I, there definitely were times. And so, you know, you alluded to coach, not just, you know, making you a better football player, but better person that you were academic all big 12 over years, academic all American. So I imagine they weren't getting on you for your classwork very often, but you know, what kind of support did he offer you for non-football things? Oh, a ton. I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of, more than anything, that's what the program is based on. There was no easier way to fall out of favor with coach and staff than, you know, messing up or punching off your, your school duties and your, you know, your duties in the program outside of football and other things. You know, every single day we had people checking on our classes and every single day if we you know, if you missed class or if your grades weren't good, you were getting lectured about it. You were getting punished for that. And so I, I always gave forth pretty, pretty solid effort to my schoolwork. So I never had to deal with a lot of those headaches, but a lot of those guys, a lot of my teammates who, you know, were there for football and, and didn't care about school, you know, they had a hell of a, hell of a <laughs> tough go with it because, you know, football's tough, but then when you add PIs and everything else to your to your workload because you're not going to school and you're not getting good grades, you know, that, that makes it even more challenging. But, you know, Coach was there to get you a degree because I think he more than anyone understood that very few of us were ever going to play in the NFL and make a living off of football, and he wanted every single person in the room to have a successful future when football is over, whenever that time may come. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of guys fought that and a lot of guys didn't or maybe still don't understand why he did that. But it was always because he wanted people to leave there and be set up for a more successful life than what they came from. Mm-hmm. And are there any ways in which he's kind of followed up on that, too, since you graduated? You know, I don't, I'm not – I mean, I see Coach more than others maybe. But, you know, anytime I see him, you know, he's just he's, – he never changes. He's always very interested in what you're doing, how you're doing, how your family's oh. doing. You know, he wrote he wrote me a recommendation letter for law school. You know, I, I exchange text messages with with him here and there, and whenever I see him at football games or events, you know, he's always it's always great to see him. And, and you know, coach is just the type of guy who he just he cares a ton. And whether or not he outwardly shows that is maybe to be debated, but mm-hmm. you know, he, he he's he definitely never changes. I mean, he's always in this. You know, he's always the same person. He's always in the same type. of um, mood or, or attitude, and, and I, you know, I, I appreciate that, and I've definitely grown to appreciate that more the longer I've been away from the team. Yeah. What's a Bill Snyder text message like? Is the grammar and <laughs> it spelling depends. All? I mean, you know, it, it it depends on what your what the content of the message is. I can remember texting him when he got got his two hundredth win, and you know, said congrats, coach. You know, 
very, you know, very grateful to have been a part of it. And he, you know, he responded something like, thanks Curry. You know, you were a very big part of those 200 wins, you know, just something you'd expect coach to say. And then a couple of weeks ago, I texted him asking for his address for some wedding invites. And, you know, he just responded and said, here's my address. Uh, congratulations. Um, you know, just coach is just, you know, he's very genuine and, you know, legitimately cares about people. And so that's just kind of how he texts. I, I haven't texted him a ton, but he's always, you know, he always responds and he's always, you know, very pleasant. So <laughs> I'm sorry, have you ahead. spoken to him at all since he retired? No, I haven't. I, I assume his text message is, or his, his phone has just been absolutely <laughs> bombarded with messages. Yeah. And I'm sure he's trying to respond to all of them. So I, you know, I figured I'd give it a little bit of time before I reached out to him just to let things die down. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure he's still trying to process everything. And, you know, I'm sure he's still trying to, let it, you know, let everything sink in and figure out how he's going to approach retirement. I, you know, I don't know if he ever truthfully thought he would retire, um, you know, this time around. So um, I'm sure, you know, it's going to be a huge adjustment for him. Right. And that's something we talked about with Nick Leckie. And Nick just said, I, I can't imagine Coach doing anything else. Like, he doesn't really have any hobbies or anything. Is yeah. that the way you see it, too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, football is kind of what he is and who he is. You know, I think he's a, he's a family man, but, you know, he's a family man in his own spec which isn't you know necessarily a type of family man that is constantly you know hanging around his family and going to visit family and doing things with family but his fam his idea of being a family man is supporting his family and i think his way of supporting his family is by being successful at what he does and setting his family and future generations up for success which i think he's you know unquestionably done and so yeah i think it's going to be a huge adjustment coach doesn't golf you know, he doesn't, I don't think he's, you know, big into exercise necessarily. And, you know, I think he has a group of friends that he hangs out with, but, you know, there's only so much hanging out at Colbert Hills and, and drinking <laughs> that, that an 80-year-old 80 coming off a cancer battle can take. So, yeah, I'm sure it's going to take some serious adjustment. I imagine he'll maintain an office in the, in the complex somewhere and, and spend still a pretty significant amount of time in there. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, to so, ask... You know, there had been some, I think probably more so a little bit after you left, but there are always some rumors that the coach was starting to delegate more responsibilities to his assistants as he goes. Or, you know, did you see any of that in your experience? Yeah, I, I don't think that's accurate. I think that people don't understand what coach's role was. People constantly say, well, you know, he doesn't coach. He's not a coach. You know, he's just a supervisor. He's just a figurehead, which isn't that inaccurate, but it's kind of misguided in my opinion because when coach came back in 2009 he came back and he brought back coach Dimmel and coach coach Miller with the understanding that they would have full control of the offense and that they would run that they would run the offense and they would they would call the plays and so he never had the offensive play calling responsibilities in his second tenure at all that he had in the first tenure and so people think oh well he gave those up as time went on no he never had them but that doesn't mean he wasn't still involved. I mean, Coach watched film more than anyone still and had input on the weekly game plans. His role, in, at least as far as I know, never changed. But and his role always was that of being a supervisor and a figurehead, but he did it you know, more deliberately and better than anyone. You know, his role was maintaining the program, making sure everyone was, you know, doing what they were supposed to be doing, keeping people in line. And so I think, you know, I don't think it's fair to say he delegated his responsibility because he always replaced a lot of responsibility on his staff. 
But without his guidance and his direction, things never would have gone as successfully. I don't think it's fair to say he delegated more of his responsibilities because his mm-hmm. second tenure was kind of like that in its in its entirety. Okay. So go back to the night you beat Texas in 2012. You got the Big 12 championship. What was that like in the locker room? What was Coach like? Was he celebrating at all? Oh, it was, it was crazy. You know, I think coming off that Baylor loss, everyone was pretty distraught for a while. But, you know, then we got to come home and play for the Big 12 championship on our home field. Yeah, it was just chaos in the locker room. I mean, I think it, that was, yeah, it was senior night. And obviously the fans were on the field. And so it probably took after, you know, after the, tro- the trophy ceremony and after everyone went around the perimeter of the stadium and shook hands with the fans, it probably took a solid hour before we got into the locker room. And then we got into the locker room and it was just a giant celebration. And, I, you know, I'm sure I, I don't vividly remember coaches you know how he was acting but i'm sure he was excited i'm sure he gave us a quick speech and told us he was proud of us and i'm sure he had a giant smile on his face and then you know let us let us go back to celebrating usually when we had big wins you know really big wins like that or like oklahoma in 2012 or 2014 he never spent too much time killing the vibe by talking too much he usually let us get on our way with our with our celebrating but it was a you know it was an incredible night i mean you know we we had a Big 12 championship trophy in our room and in our locker room, and I remember where everyone was just everyone was chanting Fiesta because we knew we were going to the Fiesta Bowl, so it was it was pretty exciting. Yeah. So on the other end of the spectrum, what was it like after the Baylor game that year? Well, I actually didn't get to go to that game because I had broken my collarbone before that at TCU, and so I was I had surgery, I believe, the Monday before the Baylor game, and. Coach had asked me, he wanted me to go on the trip with the team, but when he asked me midweek that that week, I was still coming off surgery and I was not feeling great. You know, the pain pills were making me kind of dizzy and I didn't think it would be best if I got on a plane. I thought I might get sick, so I, I said I wasn't going to go. Later in the week, I changed my mind and said, hey, I want to go. Well, they had already finalized the travel roster, so I actually watched that game from my hometown on my parents' couch. So yeah, I'm not really I'm not really sure as far as what the mood was, but I can I I'm sure it was very somber. I'm sure you know I'm sure you could hear a pin drop because you know that was we knew we were going to beat Texas at home, so that was kind of our last obstacle. You know, it was just kind of a perfect storm, so to speak. You know, we Baylor was playing hot after start you know after starting the year slow, and and we had a ton of injuries the week before in the TCU game, and so things things were set up poorly for us, and they played out that way. Yeah. And so I was wondering, you talk about, you know, Coach, about you celebrate in the locker room, you know, kind of on the field, did, did he sort of let you, I mean, obviously, as long as you're not going too far and getting a penalty, is he okay, you know, with you guys kind of showing some swagger or celebrating, or does he discourage that? You know, I think he wanted it to be within the bounds. Um, I think Coach would prefer when guys would celebrate just as a collective group. It, you know, he wanted he wanted that group celebration. And he actually, you know, now that you say that, one of the things that I did get on the list for was my sophomore year against Miami, I caught my first touchdown pass. I acted like a, you know, a six-year-old kid who had never seen the end zone before. And he, and, and in that same game, Daniel Sam scored his first touchdown, and both of our celebrations resembled, a, you know, a chicken running around with no head. And so she made a comment in the, in the notes to both of us that we needed to act like we had been there before he's and I, he said something to the effect of i know that they're excited and i appreciate their excitement and enthusiasm but they need to tone it down yeah. um so yeah there definitely was a 
you know, a limitation on that. And this speaks to his kind of his meticulousness, but he had a camera during the game that spanned the sideline and the sideline. <laughs> and and it, it was on the sideline for the entire game. The coach would not only would he watch the game film, I'm sure countless times, but yeah. he would he would watch the entire game film. It consisted of nothing but the guy standing on the sideline and see, you know, who was engaged, who was, you know, who was disengaged, who was messing around and, and doing <laughs> things they weren't supposed to be doing. And guys would be, you know, punished accordingly for, you know, not acting the way they should be on the sideline. You know, if a guy wasn't, if a guy wasn't engaged and enthused and supporting his teammates, although he may not have been playing, he may not get a suit up for the next game. So that was, so coach definitely did have, you know, some expectations as far as your participation in the game goes, both on and off the field. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It's funny that you bring up the Miami game celebration because I was actually working for the police department, the K-State police department at the time, and I was working uh, field security for the camera in the south end. So, and I remember you scoring that touchdown, and I remember you running, and I was like, oh, coach is not going to like that. So yeah. it's funny that you say that. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a – you know, I grew up sitting in, in, in section 14 in the end zone. And so when I was down running into the south end zone, I was just, I mean, it was just complete chaos at that point, pandemonium. And I didn't know what, I, I didn't know how to react. You know, I was, it was kind of honest. I mean, you know, kind of cliche, but it was a bit of a dream come true. And, and for me to do things by me, I was just, I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know how to respond. And I got, I caught a lot of crap from that, from not only coach, but from my teammates, <laughs> because it wasn't a, uh, it didn't seem like an easy, effortless celebration. It seemed like someone who didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you think Coach would be shaking his head if he sees Tyler Lockett's choreographed celebrations that he does now in Seattle? <laughs> no, you know, I actually did that. Lockett and I actually did those yeah. kinds of things in practice. Yeah. And Coach, Coach liked them because um, <laughs> they were in good faith. You know, they were in good faith and, and they were good natured. And it was a way to kind of break up the mundane nature of a long practice or camp. Um, And so, yeah, Lockett and I used to do that stuff and practice all the time. Um, Until they started doing these choreographed dances more, I used to text him and say, like, hey, you you need to do, you know, (laughs) the leapfrog or or whatever. He and I used to always think up celebrations to do during practice. And so Coach would probably like it. Coach was uh, was pretty easy on Tyler, and Tyler made it easy on, you know, himself. Yeah. I think Coach would probably laugh at what, what Tyler is doing now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so did, did you feel like, you know, by the time you became a, a really big player in the offense your senior year, did you feel like Coach treated you any differently than, you know, when you were just a freshman not doing much? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, you have more dialogue with him when you're a, your role is more significant because, you know, he's coming up to you and talking to you more about, you know, game plan and what you're seeing on film and those kinds of things. So absolutely, mm-hmm. your, your relationship changes. I mean, you know, in our stretch circles before practice, it was, you know, we, the wide receivers and quarterbacks stretch in a big circle, and, and Lockett and Jake and I were, were the three in the center. And so every single day before practice, Coach came up and talked to the three of us about, you know, mm-hmm. what we liked, what we didn't like, um, what we thought of our matchups and other things. And, you know, so the more we got around him, the more we joked with him, you know, every day Lockett and I would make some sort of joke joke to coach just to you know make sure he was in a good mood or kind of test out what kind of mood he was in <laughs> so absolutely it changes it just naturally it, it develops and it and it grows yeah well thanks a lot Curry. really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me on guys and so our last guest on the podcast is a kansas state quarterback for the last three seasons or i guess it's four seasons alex delton alex how are you 
I'm doing great. How are we doing? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah, really appreciate you you coming on. And let's start off. You know, you grew up in Western Kansas. Um, you know, you you Kansas State fan. Did you know Bill Snyder and get some of his assistants growing up, going to camps and such? Uh yeah. So I mean, obviously going up to Kansas, you uh, you have an idea of Kansas State football, and you know who Bill Snyder is. I mean, he's a pretty popular name in the state. And I actually grew up as an LSU fan. My family's from Louisiana, so I was two fans. Oh, yeah. Kansas State was yeah, Kansas State was something I always had a great idea of who Kansas State was and their idea of football team. So kind of I got older to get recruited by them and to actually play for them and play for them. It was a really cool, uh, really cool experience and kind of a still a childhood dream that I think I'll carry for the rest of my life. Another thing with Kansas State, uh, with Bill Snyder, you know, did you feel like the, the, some of his past quarterbacks and in his system, you were a good fit for that? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, um, that's the big reason why he went to Kansas State was because of the success quarterback similar to my uh, playing style has in Kansas State. I mean, talking about you know the Michael Bishops, L. Robinson, Colin Klein, the uh, Jake Waters, I and mean, all these guys have similar attributes to me, so. It was a perfect fit for me, and uh, that's, I felt very comfortable in the system. It's just built for a quarterback yeah. like myself. So that was something that I felt extremely comfortable with, and, you know, that led me to make a decision to go to get State initially. Yeah, yeah. And so some, you know, part of that that conversation, you know, especially more and more in recent years is, you know, the injury risk. Is that something that you, you talked yeah. about with coaches or talked about with your family or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, but being a running quarterback, and, not a running quarterback, being a quarterback that runs the ball, I mean, you're at risk of injury anytime you step up. So, I mean, you see guys in the pocket all day, and they end up, you know, hurting themselves as well. So, I mean, it's just kind of the game of football, the nature of football, that you're going to take injuries and take blows that are unexpected. So, to be honest with you, I mean, I've kind of seen guys like 20 carry games, or I'm running the ball 20 times, throwing 20 times. I mean, it's, it's just fun. Part of the game. I've never uh, never shied away from running the ball. I feel like the strength of my game. But obviously knowing in the offense that you're going to take hits, you're going to take blows that, you know, are expected and unexpected. And that's just part of the position. Especially I can't say quarterback position, you're going to take blows. It's just uh, every week you're going to have to get back right and uh, trust training staff and just make sure you're healthy to go the next week. I didn't think the uh, whole process, I mean, my first, I was just talking to my coach tonight about that, actually, my first, uh, first year, one of the first games I ever played at AKC, to a freshman, uh, it's one of my meniscus to my knee. Right. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it kind of came to me kind of quick, you know, uh, but, I mean, it's part, like I said, it's part of the game. I mean, it's yeah. part something that you realize that the different level of play, the risk of injury, uh, obviously increases, you know, but it's something that you can't shy away from if you're truly a player. Just we'll kind of learn to just like it, but you're, one of the things that it's just another obstacle in the game that we choose to play. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate that it happens so often to quarterbacks at Kansas State because, I mean, you look years back, I mean, from, you know, me to Jesse to Jay to, you know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys that we've had some injuries. And that's just unfortunate, but yeah. part of it, part of it, you know, part of the system. And, you know, I think the system works out pretty good for us quarterbacks and puts us in a position where we can make a lot of plays. So, yeah. I mean, I'm overall, I like the system. I think it's a great system that Coach Rand and, uh, you know, put me in a spot where I could uh, utilize my talent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what was it like having to learn the Snyder playbook? It's kind of kind of legendary how big it is and how difficult. And you know, it's not often that it takes some time for the young guys to figure it out. How was that process for you? Yeah, I mean, Coach Snyder's playbook, the offensive playbook, uh, it makes it very in depth. I mean, it's I know it's like a book, like yeah. 300-page book almost. I mean, it might be, it might be. I mean, it's very in depth. It's very. Uh, Specific and very detail oriented. I mean, that's what you'd expect from Coach Brad. 
it's something that, you know, it takes a lot of time to just learn and dive into it correctly and proper, like, the way you need to do, need to do so. And I know calls on MCA when I was up here. We just broke it down piece by piece. Where we started with formation, the past sessions, and running games, and past teams. And kind of, you know, just go piece by piece. And, I mean, it's nothing like one of those things you can learn in a month. And truthfully, it takes a good year, I'd say, to truly absorb the playbook and truly absorb what you know, the philosophy of our offense is. And it, I mean, it's not, it's not easy. I mean, I'll be first, I mean, I study it yeah. all the time. And, you know, I mean, you make, especially the quarterback position, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Obviously, how uh, Chris Rainer ran things very, very deep in out, no doubt. And being a quarterback is an extreme challenge. But once you, you know, find that, get in that groove of, you know, what you're doing and what the offense is trying to do and, you know, everywhere everyone's at, you know, what we're trying to do as an offense. It goes a lot smoother and you, uh, to manipulate the game and manipulate defenses that way as well. So after you learn it all, you feel very comfortable with your knowledge of football. And you feel anytime you watch a game, you know, whether you watch a professional or a college ball on TV, you know that uh, a lot of the stuff that Coach taught us, what we learned is uh, used all across the board. And, you know, the professional level, other colleges are using it. I mean, it's all over. It's kind of universal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also kind of along with that, the, the preparation that goes into a game, I know, you know, we've talked with some other guys – Nick Lecky especially talked about how coach just always oh, prepares you for everything. You know, was that something that, that you saw as well? Yeah, I mean, coach did. At times, you have some lengthy practices and kind of, at times, the players, you know, you think it's kind of like uh, redundant or, you know, you thought like you were just <laughs> yeah. doing things over and over. But, I mean, the coach's eyes, something that I didn't understand until I kind of matured the process is that he was trying to get us ready for, you know, every glitch, for example, that Kansas showed that year. Or like, or about four games they showed, or like he's trying to get us ready for every uh, every opportunity, every everything they've shown that we try to so we are familiar with recognizing it and seeing it. So as a you know, it, it's very intense preparation, obviously, but to go and be a successful quarterback, that's what it takes, and that it takes uh, obviously time that coaches are providing for us, but also time off the field and doing things on our own, and you know, just learning things on our own and picking up on things that communicating with coaches, offensive coaches, because it is. I mean, it's a very complex game. And Especially behind my center, one of the most complex positions is how we are on the field. So, you know, we have, we have a good feel of what they can bring and realize that we can prepare for one thing and they bring in whole different things. We just have to be, you know, kind of open minded going into a game and trust our, trust our preparation and trust that, uh, pushing a first year position, which I feel like more often not they did so. Yeah, yeah. And did that, you know, did that change? Did you do more of that once you became a team captain this last season? Mm-hmm. What did that change for you? I mean, being a team captain was an awesome, awesome, you know, awesome honor to have being, um, being a part of that. And just to say that I'm a team captain, I'll forever be. I mean, my picture's up in the locker room right now. Yeah. With and that's uh, something that it's, it's really cool. And, you know, but I think that being a team captain, yeah, you're definitely more in the spotlight. You're definitely more uh, of accountable, which uh, someone like me and Dalton Ratzel, I mean, that did not save us at all. I mean, that's how we prefer it personally. And, I mean, even though I wasn't a captain, I always aspire to be one and try to uh, do things that captains would do. So I think that means a lot to me. It means a lot to, uh, means a lot to our teammates, you know, knowing that, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a lot of criticism and I'm going to give, you know, try to be the best leader I can be. And whether that be getting on somebody or whether that means putting my arm across somebody and helping somebody out or just whatever it may be, I'm going to help somebody out. But anytime you're a captain, you're just one or two guys on a team that, or your team captain. I mean, you definitely are in a spotlight position where 
you are, I mean, you're looked at. I mean, when stuff is bad, if the team morale is bad, like you're getting looked at. You're the one having to talk to coach. Yeah. And uh, any contact. So, I mean, you are kind of like other spokesmen of the team that puts it off in the unit for just happens only. And that happened is a huge responsibility, and it's something that it's not just a title. It's like you truly have to own the title. You truly have to be a captain, a leader, a local leader, off the field leader, lead by example. I mean, it's all across the board. You're in a spotlight, and you have to uh, you know take your take your role very seriously. Yeah, and I would imagine that that's a lot of lessons that are going to go beyond football too, and help you in the future. Well, for sure. I mean, you learn how to. I mean. Being a captain, I mean, it's something that I learned a lot. Just, I mean, you're going to have to accept things that don't go your way, truthfully. Like, you know, things that you don't think may be in the best interest, sometimes you're going to have to just hold your tongue and go with it and live with the results. Sometimes you're going to, you know, shoot your shot, then you're going to miss. If you think something could help or something could have a vision for something, I mean, Coach is always very open-minded to it, but at the day, he is the boss and he says go. So, I mean, there's times that you uh, want to do something he doesn't feel like it's necessary. So, you know, there's times that you realize that even though in a high position of being captain that you're still, you know, it's very humble, humbling too because you're just still being critiqued extremely, you're probably being critiqued closely, more closely when you're captain just because you're, like I said, in the spotlight, you're always being looked at. So, there's, I mean, there's pros, there's pros, a lot of pros that come with being captain. So just, you know, having, you know, your teammates vote you is, is you have to, you're that special of a guy to be a captain okay. means a lot. But, I mean, it's overall, it's just a great, it was a great experience being captain. And, you know, I'm happy I was able to serve, you know, the 2018 team as, a, uh, as their team captain. And it was, yeah. it was honestly such a blessing. And that's something that I need to carry over in every aspect of my life. Yeah. And, and a big part of the process was, you know, of course, that the players only meeting that I talked about. And I'm just wondering, like, what kind of conversations did you have with Coach to set that up? You know, how supportive was he of you guys doing that? Obviously, it worked out pretty well. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, so player only means we're kind of just, uh, you know, maybe we had a little fault in the season last we were this past season if we were losing a few games and we felt like, you know, we need to adjust with players. And it, was, it was very, you know, it's pretty personal stuff, you know, that yeah. um, only the players really know. And it was just kind yeah. of stuff that what we think needs to be changed, what we should do, what, it's, it was all positive dialogue. It wasn't anything like we're, nothing negative ever came out of it. It was honestly just players came amongst each other and kind of, what do we think? What do we need to do to get this thing going? Like, what, what's an option here? And that's kind of all, all it came up. And, you know, obviously, yeah. we, yeah. uh, captains of August talk to us all the time about things that we think maybe, you know, if we can do this instead of this, if we can do that instead of that. And coach is really open to it. I mean, he was giving a thought and there's a lot of times he said yes, a lot of times he said no. So, yeah. I mean, it was something that we just realized that, you know, we'll, we'll try our best to make, because those captains want the best of the team. So we try a lot. Coach obviously knows it's best to have a program, so we just try to lie and uh, just kind of go from there with it. Yeah, yeah. And so, kind of switching gears a little bit, I mean, you guys, in terms of Coach Snyder's teams, maybe went through as much off-the-field stuff as any team during his tenure. You know, a lot of stuff happened. I imagine it was kind of tough to get through. Let's just start with, what do you do when you find out your head coach has throat cancer? What was that like? Oh, yeah, I mean, that, that, was like that was honestly, my first kind of reaction was like, I don't know, like, how, like, is he going to, like, continue to coach? Is he going to, you know, retire? Or what? I didn't know what he was going to do, but then once you realize who coach is, and like, I mean, coach truly probably is one of the most tough, more tougher people I've ever met in my life. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny to say that he's 80 years old, but <laughs> they're 79, I don't know. But he, he really is one of, like, 
I mean, he's like, he has no excuses. I mean, coach is out there every day. Coach is the last one to leave the office every day. I mean, coach is a tough guy. I mean, he's extremely tough. And he, he may not show it like physical toughness necessarily, like we do as players, but like mental toughness. And I mean, even the whole cancer deal, I mean, I'm sure most people in the world would, you know, retire at that point or call it quits or, yeah. but I mean, it doesn't surprise me that coach would just continue to go and continue to just push forward. And that's all coach really knows. That's kind of what he keeps us like. I mean, something has to get done to one way or the other. So, I mean, whatever the funny, we have to do it, you know, and just go from there. I mean, I think that, I mean, when I heard Coach is going to return and keep coaching, I mean, it really didn't surprise me. I mean, I don't think there's anything really in the world that would stop Coach from yeah. doing whatever he wants to do. And so, I mean, it didn't surprise me, you know. And Coach obviously is a tough guy and has a great, you know, respect and just, you know, everything for the university. It, it made so much to him, the university and the program. and yeah. Us players and uh, the coach staff. So, I mean, yeah, I think it was tough for Coach to, you know, this year finally retired. But, I mean, right. to go through that, I mean, I think it was a bit tough for Coach to give in. And I feel like he was almost like he gave up at that point, which is not Coach DNA. Right, right. And so, I mean, you kind of alluded to it that, that by all reports, he sort of tried to just keep doing everything as normal. Um, you know, I don't know what went on yeah. behind the scenes, but certainly from what we saw, you know, just like anybody that goes through chemotherapy, he he looked more physically frail. You know, were there other ever points where you were like, "Hey, coach, you gotta take it easy a little bit," or were there other coaches or players saying that, or you just kind of let him handle his business on that? Not really. I mean, we just. I mean, coach obviously when when he first had cancer, but he'd be in and out. You know, a little more than usual at times. But yeah, I mean, I guess he looked a little more frail, but it wasn't anything that was like mind boggling for us. We didn't yeah. take much concern of it. I mean, I mean, coach is a smart man. I mean, he's not gonna himself harm's way, you know, just the coach. I mean, he, we trusted him, and we know that if he's there, he's going to be the coach, coach us, and he's going to critique us, and he's going to be our leader. So I don't think any of us ever looked at it as coach and I look into well as coach. Uh, I mean, coach is just going to be coach, and coach is going to never want to quit or never want to do anything unless he physically has to. So, I mean, I never looked at it that way at all. I mean, I knew that coach, obviously, he's yeah. ill at the time, but I think he, I think honestly that the doctors and Everything in that process went very well, and everything took care of him very well because he was out there coaching us. And, I mean, aside from losing a few pounds, I didn't notice much difference at all with him coach. Yeah, and I mean, that's got to be pretty inspiring for you guys and motivational. I mean, if he's going to chemotherapy and still coming to practice, like all your excuses suddenly, you know, seem like pretty small, right? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, just, I mean, it's just so, it's, it uh, kind of relates to his character. I mean, uh, if you think about it, a guy with cancer doesn't want to give up on this program and this institution and this mm-hmm. university and his coaches and his players. I mean, it's these volumes of who he is and what he stands for. I mean, it was pretty cool just to realize that really nothing would stop him from just doing what he does, of coaching and trying to be that sort of model he is for us. So it was a cool, really cool experience to go through. And, I mean, unfortunately, he had to go through cancer, but it definitely, I mean, what he learned, I'm sure, in it, and what we learned a lot from him at that moment as well. Right, right. And so, you know, through that and then through this past season and really I mean, through a lot of your career, there's always some sort of retirement rumors swirling. Did you guys pay much attention to that or was that addressed very much? I mean, to be honest, my first year, after my first season, there's stuff about him retiring. Uh, there's a lot of talk. And then my first year, I was really tired and came the thought of it. I thought maybe he's going to retire. I don't know. But I, I was starting to realize after that year that, I mean, every year, it's going to be last last year. This is the next year, the last year. This is the last year. It's kind of a 
you know, continuous issue that we have. And you realize that coach will retire when he wants to, and all things are kind of not going to do it because of me or do it because of anybody else. You know, he's going to do it because of himself, so he's going to do it because of, he feel like it's right for the program. So I never really entertained the thought of after my first year, my coach is going to retire because he truly, I mean, that time this year, but he did it on no terms. So, I mean, as a player, obviously, you think about it, but you know, pretty okay. Because if you know coach, you know that coach is someone that's going to give it up out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And so then, you know, the retirement finally happened. Uh, he kind of just stayed out of the spotlight, did the team meeting and everything, you know, did that. That kind of speak to, to his character a little bit, that he didn't want to, you know, make it all about himself, didn't want too much attention for it? Yeah, I mean, when Coach told him, I mean, it was kind of, uh, I mean, unfortunately, you know, the media got a hold of it before the players did, and I, I found out like an hour before he actually mentioned it to us, but, uh-huh. I mean, we had a nice, I mean, people, there was a little more speculation than usual going on, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it was, we had a lot of media guys to be out there, and people would be, you know, in anticipation for it, a little more intense, but, I didn't really, I mean, I respect the coach's decision. I personally did not think he's going to retire after this past season, but, you know, I think that it, it was right. He's coached on his right. It was the right decision, right time for it. You know, I stand by him for that decision. You know, he's always going to be my coach, and he's always going to be someone who makes a lot of stay in contact with. Yeah, and so you know, I, I, I support him for everything he's done, and everything he's done for me, and everything he's done for the program. I'm always going to stand by him. Yeah, yeah, and then certainly his legacy will, will always be felt at, at Kansas State and, and what he's done. So yeah, yeah, no doubt, for sure. And so then if we can talk about, you know, you just a little bit. So, you know, you're transferring to, to UTEP. You know, we wish you the best of luck there. Kind of talk us through yeah. that, that decision and, and how you ended up in, uh, in over there. Yeah, no, UTEP, uh, so I took a lot of Kansas State ties at the University of Central Paso where uh, and I'm Offense coordinator where I started my first game at Chase State. Coach Dana Dimmel, now the head coach at UTEP. Coach Mike Koff recruited me um, out of Hayes, Kansas, to Chase uh, State. He actually, and now he's at UTEP, recruited me uh, to go to UTEP as well. And, mm-hmm. I mean, Jake Waters, former quarterback at uh, Kansas State, is a receiver coach there. Yeah. Uh, Scotty O'Hara, basketball against Northern Kansas State, is now over at UTEP. Charles Jones, graduate assistant, who's a my running back at Kansas State. I mean, I go on and on. Kansas State ties all over the place. So talking with those guys and they recruited me hard and they recruited me, you know, pretty relentless for their recruiting with me and made me feel comfortable uh, running a similar system we ran at Kansas State where, you know, a little bit of different terminology but a system that I feel comfortable with and will utilize my talents as quarterback. And I think it's a great opportunity for me to uh, really showcase my talents at this level of my last year of college football and really show what I'm capable of doing and put a good stamp on my senior year. So I'm just really excited for the opportunity. I think it'll be a great opportunity for me to go in there and meet these guys and get this thing rolling down in El Paso and uh, be in a position to make a bowl game this next year and uh, just go up from there. Yeah, and then we look forward to watching you. I think most K-State fans are excited to see what you can do. Yeah. Uh, certainly, you know, the graduates. So you, are you, did you graduate already or did you graduate this spring? Uh, no, I just graduated this past okay. December, so about a month ago I graduated. Okay, congratulations on that. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, what? Um, I guess just last thing, you know, what what kind of connection do you think you'll you'll keep to Kansas State and, and Coach Snyder? Yeah, no, I mean Kansas State at the end of the day, I mean I spent four years with Kansas State. I graduated from Kansas State. Kansas State will be very close to my heart. I mean it's a place where, you know, so much went on for me. I mean first time I ever, you know, started a college game with you know, Kansas State. I've had some great memories, you know, on the road, 
right. at Kansas State. I've had some great memories in Bill Snyder Family Stadium. I mean, I've had, you know, memories that last a lifetime. I have some, you know, accolades that, you know, that or some records at Kansas State, all these things that I've done at Kansas State, you know, looking back on it, it's pretty remarkable and it's very fulfilling to know that I've left my stamp on Kansas State. And, uh, you know, I'll always be, I'll always be with Kansas State. I mean, at the end of the day, that's where I spent my whole college career. I'm mean, spent one year at different university, but when I think of college, I think of Kansas State University. So, I mean, it's somewhere that I'm assuming I love Kansas State. I love the fans. I love, you know, uh, just the support that the community brings uh, amongst football players. And I'll always be grateful for the experience, the opportunity I had to play for Coach Snyder at Kansas State, be the quarterback there. And it's something that I take great pride in, and I love everything about it. There's not much negative I can say about, you know, Manhattan, the community, or the university, or the athletic program. Yeah, well, we, we certainly enjoyed watching you play and appreciate all the hard work you put in in the program. Yeah. You, you mentioned the memories. Do you, sure. you have any, any favorite memories from your time? My favorite K-State memory would be, uh, I would say my one on, on top of my head would be uh, we beat UCLA in the bowl, Cactus Bowl in 2017. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I came in, I had a pretty good game individually. Right. Um, <laughs> I think I had like, yeah, yeah you're all right. You're all right. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we uh, we had a good game, and offense, we were moving the ball pretty well. And you know, started off pretty shaky early on, but at the end of the game, we started getting after those guys, winning that bowl game, and you know, getting the MVP award. And that's that's a memory that you know I always remember. It was a lot of fun, and that was my first time ever, you know, getting the MVP in a bowl game and just being a part of a bowl win. Truthfully, so that was a lot of fun, man. And that was a cool environment. Arizona yeah. down there, and that, that's probably what I think of one of the better memories. That's probably the number one that comes off the top of my head. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And hopefully, that's how that's how most K State fans will remember Alex Dutton. Yeah, like that. no, that was an awesome game. All right, well, thanks so much for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's fun to talk about. Yeah, all right. So yeah. Thompson, right now.